Okay, Todd, it's great to be with you again. So here's my question for you. Have you seen Wonder Woman 1984 yet? No, I haven't. Um, we are looking forward to see it, although I've been surprised the reviews have been pretty negative, which has surprised me. Have you seen it? Well, I'm about to do, I'm about to watch it myself, and I, I've seen uh, some a lot of the previews, and I kind of you know I'm a big Wonder Woman fan, and uh, and for all kinds of reasons, uh, but you know the thing that was going to get me the most, and I think for the conversation we're about to have is you and I, I, I with that point you were probably still in college in 1984. Um, I was at that point I had graduated in 83 and started on Capitol Hill. So by 1984, I'm really a young, you know, uh, Hill person and I'm getting, I'm just kind of in the groove. So this movie is all set in Washington in 1984 with a lot of scenery and so forth. Uh, I'm, I cannot wait to see how it holds up. And, you know, we're talking about a lot of things here that some of which have not changed since we started, you and I started in this town in the, in the early eighties or mid eighties, uh, in terms of what Capitol Hill is doing. And yet, by the way in which some of it has played out, you know, amongst the various players, it's far cry from what we've normally done. So it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. It's like, okay, how, how much of this is still in tradition? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, as we switch to or we start to transition to the, the focus today, I've been struck, um, you know, Patty Jenkins, who directed the film, is, is, is just a, a wonderful director. So I'm ex- excited about that. And the Post had an article that she had spent um, several years in the D.C. area. And so she really was interested in sort of trying to convey kind of what it was like. And I was struck by the the show, The Americans, which kind of took the same time period, maybe a little earlier in the 70s, but but struggled a bit with being very authentic about um, you know, the DC area at that time. So I'll be curious to see if the film does it better. And, and, you know, your points well taken. Cause, cause one of the things I've been really struck by is, you know, in the, it seemed like in the eighties and nineties, we were much more likely to have sort of omnibus spending bills, consolidated omnibus spending bills. And it sort of feels like that's where we ended up this year. Yeah. And so it was kind of, there were deja vu of Reagan. I kind of felt like those years. Um, and also really related to our, our top talk because, you know, the movie takes place in 1984. So next, the next year, 1985, is when Congress passes NOTA and the National Organ Transplant Act uh, that has kind of governed everything since 1985. And one of the big issues has probably been worked on probably within the, the year after 1985. Uh, I think you can tell us about it a lot. It's been a big issue for uh, ASN. Yeah, so it's probably a good place to start. For those of you who, who haven't been following um, the sort of news reports, and there's been a lot on social media, particularly about Twitter about this, you know, the immunosuppressive drug coverage bill um, was folded into this um, large sort of stimulus uh, package. And, and as a result, um, we now have full coverage of immunosuppressive drugs for people who have transplants, including kidney transplants. It's a huge victory for our community. It's something that the transplant community started working on, you know, a long time ago, as David, as you said. Um, but then I think that really the entire community, both the, the health professional groups and the patient organizations have rallied around this. It's It's been the one sort of consistent issue, perhaps with, with funding for, for NIH and for NIDDK, that there's been no sort of disagreement in the community. And it's just, it's just a great day. And I think it's something um, we should all be really proud of as a community, but we should also be excited that this sort of 36-month um, limit on coverage no longer exists. And so now um, it's just another barrier to transplant that's been eliminated. And it's just, it's just wonderful news in, in, in a really tough year. 
It is. It, it is. That's exactly right. It is wonderful news and a really tough year. And as you have spent so much time along, along with others, uh, really working on disparities and issues of race and so forth, um, it's also really significant because one of the things that was used uh, to overlook certain people uh, was the lack of secondary insurance. Because this coverage ran out after three years, um, some people were often not considered a candidate for a transplant because they didn't have secondary insurance to come in and pick up after that three-year expired. And they were considered to be kind of a risk that they might not be able to maintain the medications. Yeah, and the other thing, just since you mentioned um, systemic racism and health disparities, um, you know, I've been spending a lot of time recently going back and rereading um, the Secretary's report on Black Minority Health, which was published and, and released by the task force in 1985. So just you know, hitting that time horizon again, and it's stunning when you read it because it could have been written today, and it's it's really disappointing when you think about you know here was this this group that came forward with a broad and far reaching plan for how the Department of Health and Human Services could address those issues. And, and, you know, as I start to try to figure out what's happened and what hasn't, mostly the recommendations were, and, and you know, there were um, eight core recommendations and then probably 50 or 60 sort of activation ideas related to each of those. And the fact that we've made no progress since then is really appalling. Um, but then, you know, you look at the what happened with Immuno this year where, where it did pass and you realize you just have to keep working on these issues and, and not get discouraged by the lack of progress, but focus on, you know, the, the, the momentum and, and ways to, to move things forward and to sort of rally the community. And, and that's probably a good transition to the, the second big piece of news that's in this, this, um, this bill. I'm struggling with what to call it. I, I keep going back to stimulus, but it's really just the end of year. It's, it's reconciliate. It's, it's, it's an omnibus payment bill. It's a, it's, it's a continuing resolution. It's, 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 it has all the appropriations, but it also then has some of the relief related to COVID-19. So it's sort of everything in one huge package. Um, and that's reimbursement for, for physicians, including nephrologists. And I'm just curious if you can give us the update there. Yeah, you you almost said the word. You 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 got there close to it. You said reconciliate. You got close to saying reconciliation. And in some ways, it is like the old form of reconciliation between House and Senate, except for this time it was between the entire Congress and the powers that be within Medicare and the way they set uh, set this. So there's been a lot of movement for some years that, particularly nephrology and other members of the cognitive specialties that really are not as much procedurally based. Um, have really kind of lagged behind in reimbursement. And this year, uh, CMS tried to adjust that, Center, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, tried to adjust that and provided increases for nephrology and for other groups, endocrinology and so forth. But because it's governed by about, uh, budget neutrality, a statute um, that meant some, some serious cuts um, in, in, in other areas, particularly for surgeons, um, and so basically the House of Medicine ended up at, on Capitol Hill basically saying, fix this, please fix this. And the bottom line is they did fix it. And so what they did was they suspended the budget neutrality for the moment uh, for 2021. And as a result, um, and not only did they suspend the budget neutrality and, and negate the cuts, they left the bonuses. So the over 6% bonus that nephrologists were going to get in EDM coding stays and they added a 3.75% increase for the period as well. 
um, and that was with new money, so it was outside of budget neutrality. And the really good part is that nephrology gets both, it's over 6% and it's 3.75%, and it gets up into the 10 to 11% range, depending on calculations, and it's it was a good day for nephrology. Um, you know, a lot of nephrologists are probably still underpaid um, in terms of the value of what they, they do and, and, and so forth, but it was a good day, and ASN had really wanted to maintain those increases for nephrology, but they also wanted to be, you know, cognizant of the fact that the budget neutrality had hurt others. And so it was a good compromise. Uh, ASN, uh, I felt like at the end of the day, the stuff we were working closely with uh, RPA and also ASPN. Um, and uh, so, you know, Renal Physicians Associations and, and the, uh, the American Society of Pediatric Nephrology um, were all working together. So we felt like it was a good day. Yeah, I mean, it really is remarkable that, that you know, Immuno finally passes, that finally there's a recognition of the role that nephrology plays in the healthcare system and the value of the nephrologist, at least from a payment perspective, um, and that both of those things happen the same year. And I think, you know, in addition to the fact that there does seem to be momentum over the last, you know, six to eight you know, years related to an interest in doing more of a federal focus on on advancing kidney health. There's also clearly a recognition of the fact that 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 kidney medicine needs to be more front and center than it's been. And and so the fact that then I think the second point would be that the community, as you mentioned, is working so well together and is aligned on all these issues that there's finally sort of a recognition of what the priority should be and how we is, is a community, both the health professionals and the patients and, and all the different um, constituencies need to work as closely together as possible. And, and I think that, you know, also brings us to the third piece of good news that that's in um, um, this law, which is um, continued um, funding for kidney acts. And what's interesting about that is when a- ASN approached the Department of Health and Human Services a few years ago about establishing kidney acts, the thought was it would be a public-private partnership. ASN put up the first private funding of a $25 million commitment, and then we've been working with the community and a lot of organizations and and individuals have been supportive about then identifying appropriations funding um, for Kidney X. So so why don't you provide us a quick update there? Yeah, and and I have to say, going back to the 80s reference here, as far as the $5 million for Kidney X, I'm reminded of the Arsenio Hall show, which I loved, and when he would get... Ask for a whoop whoop and 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 pump the uh, air. It was always a fun moment in his show. Uh, so yes, KDX um, has been seen now second year in a row as a funding priority for Congress, um, and we hope that that continues to grow into the future because it's it's much harder to get into it than it is to grow within appropriations. And it took a lot of work for ASN to get KDX into appropriations, and now it's there. And now second year it's being picked up. And as I recall, it's, it's a $5 million appropriation. So sort of matching kind of the commitment that ASN made, the thought of sort of $5 million a year, which allows us to fund the, the two ongoing projects right now. Is there's a COVID-19 prize, which is relatively small. And then there's also a larger artificial kidney um, prize and project and initiative that's going to be you know potentially transformative. So I think a lot of excitement around Kidney X. And, and so to shift then to the fourth and final piece of good news related to um, the, the stimulus package 
is um, funding for both the National Institutes of Health, but the in particular the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Dis- uh, Diseases. So, um, what's the update there? Well, uh, there was a thirty-seven million dollar increase uh, for NIDDK. Um, that was good, um, and that goes along with a whole um, large billion dollar increase for all of NIH. And then there was also an additional one point two five billion dollars for NIH for COVID-related funds to support research and clinical trials about long-term COVID-19 effects. So um, I think in in a lot of respects, there was a whole lot, um, you know, that really CDC even got a $2.5 million increase for kidney disease and chronic disease prevention and health promotion program. So there were a lot of, of good things in there. NIH, the biggest winner, would like to see that in NIDDK is remaining to be, uh, you know, relative, it's increases relative to the rest uh, of the entire budget. Um, but like I said, there were several other. One of my favorites is there was another $250 million to the FCC to work on COVID-related telehealth issues. Um, and just a whole, and along with $7 billion for FCC on broadband infrastructure. This has become a big deal because we look at, we look at telehealth issues and we know, you know, once again, the digital divide could leave another group of people out of these benefits. So I, I think it just looked like a, uh, it looked like a good week in 2020. And we haven't been able to say that that much, you know? Yeah, that's true. And, and it's interesting as we, as we wrap up, um, I pulled up the, uh, the billboard, uh, end of year hot 100 singles for 1984. So I'm wondering if you can guess what the number one song was that year. Just tell me. I'm dying to know what it is. I can't think now. I'm just blanking. So, so, so I'm surprised. So Robert, um, who produces the show, since this is our last of the year, um, I'm wondering if you can answer the question. Number one song for 1984. Hungry Like the Wolf. Uh, what about uh, Take On Me? Uh, both good guesses, but it was When Doves Cry by Prince, followed by What's Love Got to Do With It by Tina Turner. I did a big, okay, then yesterday before we did this, this taping, I did a big Tina Turner uh, uh, retrospective uh, listening to it. And, of course, it was uh, What's Love Got to Do With It, the first one, and the last one that I listened to before I turned it all off. So I'm a big Tina Turner fan. Well, David, it's, it's sort of amazing that you, you've focused on Tina Turner because, of course, she had a kidney transplant um, a few years ago. And so it just points to the fact that it, it's such a prevalent, that kidney disease is so prevalent. And now with the uh, immunosuppressive drug coverage um, in the United States, it'll be easier for people to get kidney transplants. So um, that's probably the best note to, to end 2020 on. Then let's keep rolling on the river. <laughs>